Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Picture Book Summit. Do you dream of creating picture books that will change a child's life? Learn how to find your voice at Picture Book Summit, a world-class online conference for picture book authors and illustrators. Join Picture Book Summit on Saturday, October 3rd, 2020, for keynotes from their award-winning, best-selling lineup, including author-illustrator Sophie Blackall, author Lisa Klein-Ransom, and author-illustrator Peter H. Reynolds. Register by August 12th and get $100 off the regular price. Visit picturebooksummit.com slash winner. That's picturebooksummit.com slash winner. That's my wheelhouse because that fifth is actually the grade that I taught the longest. There was a year I taught a combination fourth and fifth grade, and then there was a year I taught fourth alone, but I looped with those students to fifth, but I was in elementary school for 12 years, so that's even older than you, and most of those years were spent teaching fifth, and then I went from there to eighth grade, so. Dance is something that brings us together. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 610. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm joined by Valerie Bowling, as well as a team of summer camp co-hosts. This is my last episode with my summer camp podcasters, and I'm so glad that we all got together for this very recording. Valerie's debut picture book is called Let's Dance, and it's illustrated by Maine Diaz. All told, there are less than 75 words in the main text, But with those selectively chosen verbs and adjectives, Valerie leaves a lot of space for the illustrator to bring the movement of dance to the page. And that's exactly what happens. Valerie talks with us about growing up the only child in a house of seven adults. She shares her favorite dance, which is cuckoo, in case you're curious. And she talks about how she's only responsible for a third of the book. Anne talks lovingly on the other two-thirds that help to make this book what it is. Please welcome our guest, Valerie Bowling, author of Let's Dance. Hello, everyone. My name is Valerie Bowling, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I am the author of Let's Dance. In addition to being an author, I am also an educator, and I just finished my 27th year in education, 
I have taught in elementary school, middle school, and currently work as an instructional coach with middle and high school teachers. Welcome, Valerie Bowling. We're so excited you're here. We have read your book. We have read your bio and know a little bit about your life. We're so excited. And of course, for those listening, when I say we, I mean, of course, that I'm joined by a wonderful team of student podcasters. Kids, do you want to unmute and just say hi to the world or hi to Valerie at least? Hi. 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 Hello. I'm so glad you're here. I was so excited when I knew that there was the opportunity to have students here that I just, I'm like, yay, there'll be students and I'll get to speak to them and they'll get to ask questions. So thank you so much for being here, students. And of course, Matthew, thank you so much for having me. You know, we've been trying to connect for a while. So I'm so glad that it has happened. I'm glad it happened too. And, you know, during the time we were trying to connect, we, the students and I, went through a weird thing going to quarantine and discovering what virtual school can be like. There's been a lot of life happening. So I'm so glad that on the other side of it, we get to have this intersection of school and technology and podcasting. It's awesome to be doing it all together and to be with these lovely kids that actually only one of these four children are from the school where I teach. So I got to know new podcasters this week. And that was that was very, very special. And of course, P is waving hi because she she and I spent a really great year together. But the other ones on this call have spent a really wonderful week with me too. So I'll lead our questions because I want to get into this debut picture book you have called Let's Dance and uh, what it is and what inspired it. But as you know, my students came up with so many wonderful questions that we are going to uh, just roll with. So Valerie, I'm going to ask you to start this way. Could you please introduce the book to those that haven't encountered it yet? Sure. So my simple one-liner that I created for the book is that Let's Dance is a book that celebrates dances from around the world and the diverse children who enjoy them. Children? I can certainly say a bit more if you'd like. I was going to say, speaking of the children that enjoy the dances, we're going to get into dance classes that we've had growing up, um, dancing just for fun like no one's watching, um, dancing <laughs> over video games. We really went lots of different places with dancing. Do any of you children want to start with a question? Oh, I'm seeing nodding. You want to start? Mm -hmm. Go ahead, unmute. <laughs> I think IF is going to start. She's got a huge smile. I think she's ready to go. You, want to, you can give a comment or a question, whatever you want to do, IF, but go for it. Okay, so yesterday, I just remember that, like, we were talking about the book, and then P just brought this ukulele in and was starting, like, dancing with it and, like, pretending that she was a rock star as we were talking about the book. We really oh. did have a bond. We had, again, these children are new to know each other, and yet on the end of our fourth day together, it was dance that brought us together. I'm so glad, IF, that you brought that up. We will keep all the details the other details for us personally to enjoy, but to share just that little bit that, that we got to bond that way was so joyous. Go ahead, Pete, well, add some more. I, I just, I wanna respond by F. I mean, that's what I love. I'm so glad that you shared that because that's the reason I wrote the book. I wanted to show how we're all connected through dance. And when we, 
you know, hear music, we want to move and it really is something that brings us together. So the fact that you had that experience, IF and P, and I think all of you were together while reading the book, that just makes me so happy and grateful and honored as an author. P, did you have something to share? I know she did. Go ahead. Um, I have a question. Um, what was it like growing up in a house of seven adults and you being the only child? Oh my goodness. We're you jumping did right into the bio. That's right. Jumping right into the bio. Yeah, that is that is not a book question necessarily. Um, but it must have influenced you too, though, right? Say it again, Matthew. But it must have influenced you. All of these little thumbprints on our life, these fingerprints have a way of coming out in stories, don't they? I can't wait to hear about this. P, I'm so glad you led with that question. Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm going to start by saying I actually shared that with my agent. I recently signed with an agent and he said, oh, he said, you must have been privy to a lot of adult conversations that you shouldn't have heard. <laughs> that, was, that was what he said, which I thought was, was cute, but it was a very religious household as well. So there was, you know, I wasn't really hearing things that were inappropriate. Um, but it was, I, I felt um, both so incredibly loved and so incredibly special. I had the privilege of living with my great grandparents and four of their daughters, one of whom was my grandmother, the other three were my great aunts and then my mother. So it was also very female centered. My great grandfather was the first one to pass away when I was 12 and my great grandmother passed away during my freshman year of college. So I was 18 at that time. Um, and my last two great aunts passed away, and I should remember the exact year, it was either 2008 or 2009. Um, but it was just, it was incredible because each person kind of had a role with me. So I wrote in my bio about my grandmother who taught me how to write. And then there was an aunt who um, would always read to me. And there was another aunt who was the one who always bought me things and did my hair. And there was another one, uh, we used to play geography games. So maybe that did influence my love of travel because you know we would identify states and what the capitals were and things like that. So, um, and my mom was very good about giving me experiences, taking me to Broadway plays and you know, the Harlem Globetrotters every year and the ice capades and amusement parks. And so it was really wonderful, but there was something for me that was really missing. And it was the fact that I was an only child and I was very close to my cousins, but I'd get very sad when they would leave. So um, for me, I think that's why I've always had such a connection to kids and connection to other people and wanting to know about their lives. Did you have, was, was the house you grew up in a house where there was a lot of dance? I mean, I'm hearing you going to the ice capades, which, would, which, was, which is ice dancing. And I hear you going to Broadway, which of course can be imbued with dance. I wonder, um, I wonder why dance ends up being uh, centered as this first story that, that, that bears your name. 
That's a great question. I actually didn't grow up dancing though. That wasn't something that was really um, done in my house. As I said, I grew up in a very religious house and um, it just wasn't really a part of our home, but it's something that I discovered later. Uh, I remember my best friend teaching me how to dance because she was going to have a sweet 16 party and I had turned 16 just a month before. My birthday's in August, hers was in September. And uh, so she was kind of teaching me how to dance so that I'd be able to dance. And I just, you know, I, I just loved it. I've always been an active person. And then when I went to college, that's where I took dance. And one of the dances featured in the book Cuckoo from Guinea, West Africa is a dance that I learned in college. So yeah, I, that's, it wasn't something that was part of my growing up, but something that I just enjoyed once I discovered it. Very cool. Very cool. Go ahead, Elle. Why in the book do you just have verbs? Oh my goodness, we're learning about language, which is great. I just, for me, and it, it also relates to why rhyme and why so few words, I really felt that the words I was uh, searching for, L, were words that would capture the essence and the cadence of dance. So short, you know, snappy words kind of go with dance, rhyming words go with dance, and obviously dance is very active, so using verbs would also convey that. Did you always have, to, this is to pair with L that we brought up together yesterday, did you always have such a, a tight word count on your manuscript? Because we were talking, the one of the, well, it sort of works a lot of different advantages. It does allow then the book to be read to very, very young children and to be read quickly over and over. But also it saves a lot of space on the page for your illustrator to show us those dances and those cultures and those children. Was it always such a tight word count? It was, and believe it or not, um, and I know I will not be able to say this for future books, but I can say it for this one, not one word of this manuscript was changed from the time I submitted it to the time it was published. There is wow. a exception. There were two stanzas that got cut. There was hippity hop, bippity bop, which my editor thought was very, very similar to breakdancing, hip hop and breakdancing. So that's why that one got cut. And there was another one, um, step by step move with pep. And she didn't necessarily see a strong dance connected to that. So um, that's why she thought that could go in retrospect um, and if she's listening, uh, Jess Negron, my editor, amazing editor at Boyd's Mills and Kane, I also wonder if the reason she intentionally wanted to delete two stanzas is because she wanted to reserve two pages at the end for back matter. Yes. I had not written the back matter, the little two sentence descriptions about each dance. So she asked me to write that. Um, and so by getting rid of two pages, you now have two pages for the back matter. But other than that, not a word changed. It's, it really is remarkable. I got really lucky sort of 
out of the gate. And the other thing, as you said, is these sparse um, words really allow Maine's illustrations, Maine Diaz, the amazing illustrator, um, to just take over because the book is really about those illustrations. And I do say, if you've listened, you know, if your listeners have heard me in other interviews or on podcasts, and, and I really mean this, that I am responsible for a third of the book. I supplied the words, but it was Maine's illustrations that brought the book to life, really made the, the, the words dance. And it was Jess's vision that really brought this together because she had the vision for cultural dances. That was not my original vision. The back matter, we read it as if it was just part of the book, as you would, but it also so beautifully served in taking us around the world to these origins of dances, while at the same time, we know that every one of these dances could be taught in your school, um, could be celebrated in your neighborhoods. They're, they're representative of, of something so tight-knit and yet so global. I thought that was beautiful. Um, I.L., you haven't had a chance to ask a question yet. Go ahead. How many places did you travel to? It said that you traveled to five continents. You're absolutely right, I.L. The two continents I have not traveled to are Australia and Antarctica, but the others I have traveled to. Can you, can you predict or, or, or guess um, of those continents you've been to, how many countries? I.L. was guessing at like, okay, so we've been to these continents, but within that, how much? Are you, maybe you're a frequent traveler or you like to visit new places and, and not revisit, who knows? We'd love to know more about travel. Sure, so it's interesting. Travel for me is like dance. Um, it's not something that I did as a child. We really, my mother, as I said, took me to a lot of places, but they were pretty much local. I live in Connecticut, so we'd go to um, amusement parks and, and the experiences in New York. I remember doing a family trip one time to Hershey Park and my, you know, my whole household went. I don't remember my great grandparents went, but my aunt and grandmother definitely did. But I never got on a plane until I was, and again, I can't remember if I was 14 or 15. I remember I was, it was the summer, again, I have an August birthday. So it was the summer I was either turning 14 or turning 15. And that was the first time I got on a plane. And I went to Germany to visit a friend that I had met here. Her family invited me to come visit. And ever since then, the travel bug bit. And so I have traveled um, around. So some of the countries, so, uh, or continents, in terms of Europe, I actually lived in London for a year from ages 24 to 25. And during that time, I traveled to at least eight countries. Um, you know, I also traveled within the UK, but I traveled around because I, and I always stayed with people I knew because I've just been so fortunate in my life to have met people who, you know, uh, live around the world. And then in, uh, on the continent of Africa, I went on a trip with a group uh, and we went to Ghana and the Ivory Coast. And then um, a few years ago for a special birthday of mine, <laughs> uh, my husband and I traveled to South Africa. 
So, uh, and then in, for Asia, I went with a friend who was doing business there. He's a friend, he's like a brother of mine. Um, and I visited him, he was in Korea. So I, I went to Korea, he was already there on business. And then we went to Japan. Uh, so I've been to, even within continents, and I don't know how many states I've been to. I've been to a lot of states. Um, and also, so why, little, why you know, did you travel? Was it for, like, inspiration for dancing? No, it wasn't for that reason, um, IL. It was just, you know, I love to travel, and I like to travel to different places. And so, and I do, um, as Matthew was saying, I actually am a person who likes to there's so many wonderful places to travel that i like to travel to places that i haven't been like you know we most recently within the past few years my husband and i have really enjoyed a trip to iceland we really enjoyed that we obviously enjoyed the trip to south africa we really enjoyed um one summer we went to the czech republic and hungary uh so we like to go you know to different places and, and um we, we just really, really enjoy it. We, last summer, we did a Canadian cruise and a week in New Hampshire and visited friends who have a home on the vineyard. So we do things that aren't always super far away as well, but we, we, like, to, we like to get around. <laughs> Hello, beautiful book nerds. As the Children's Book Podcast grows and reaches new ears and new readers, I continue to explore what ways we can engage in literature together. That's where the idea of book club began. I send you a book featured on the podcast. The book ships from the Brain Lair Bookstore, one of my absolute favorite indie bookstores. And I create a special book guide and mini episode to accompany your read of the story. It's a special way for us all to connect over books, and I'm so glad to see folks connecting with all we've done through book clubs so far. The feature book we picked for August is Your Name is a Song by Jamila Tompkins Bigelow and illustrated by Luisa Uribe. This book is amazing and so, so needed in our libraries and homes. It's a story about name pronunciation and identity and how the way we see and respect one another starts with your name. Visit MatthewCWinner.com and click on Patreon at the top of the page, or use the link in the show notes to access Patreon to learn more. I see that that made a lot of hands spring up, so I'm going to go to IF first, and then P, you go right afterward. Um, I have two things to say. One, my grandparents also live in Connecticut. Oh. My, my mom's dad and stepmom. And then... Um, why did you want to make the words in the book so short? Was it because you wanted like all ages to read it or just because you like short, like short books? Yeah, so I, it's interesting, um, IF, when I write, because I have some books, they're not published yet, but I hope they will be, that are more story-like. This is not really a story, this is more what we call a concept book. And when I write and rhyme, and I don't know if it's a good thing or it's a bad thing, but it's just kind of how I am, I tend to just write very short. And, you know, they just I want just a couple of words. That, whereas there are some writers who, when they write and rhyme, 
they write an entire story in rhyme. And I don't really do that. If I'm going to write a story, I tend to use prose. But when I decide to write something in rhyme, writing it in this way works best for me. And what I will say is, I feel that I'm going back to my beginning when I do this. I, it must be in my subconscious because again, if you read my bio, I talked about writing in first grade these little snippets of <laughs> you know things in Matthew's laughing that didn't even make sense. But well, your whatever poem, the, your first grade poem was so adorable. <laughs> it was yeah, like I mean, the cat was on the mat. It sat on the mat. Whatever it was, we, yeah. when we were reading it, we were laughing. Yeah, and so I feel that some of what I'm writing harkens back to that. And as I said, I don't know if that's great or not, but that's just, you know, I think maybe there's an imprint in my brain for that. And so when I write and rhyme, it comes out in that manner. I, I don't know, but I, I do find it ironic that my first published book is in rhyme. I, I want to have to pee for a second, but before that, I just want you to consider um, before sharing with us when you started to write and if you feel like what you write is in some way what you were also drawn to as a child. I know that when I write, it comes out more poetic and I've been reflecting that that I think comes from a love of of playful language, that I think that that's why I write that way, because I, I, I like the certain way words are, are, are strung together. Um, learning that that's your voice and then leaning into it is a completely different thing, of course, because we tend to say, no, 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 writing has to look this way. And, and, and you fight uh, what your voice is trying to say. But, but let's hop to P first as you think about that. Go ahead, P, what's your question? Um, when you write a book, what inspires you to write it? Yeah, because you yeah, mentioned I writing think, other stuff. Yeah, I think each book is a little different. Um, I wrote something during the pandemic, and I didn't even know where it came from. And I'll just say it's about a girl who learns how to ride a bike. And then it hit me one day as I was walking my walk, because, you know, walks were my savior, as well as writing during the pandemic. Um, there, I had come across a number of times this little girl on a bike, and one day her mom had said to me, oh yeah, she, you know, that's one good thing about the pandemic. She learned how to ride a bike. And even recently, I saw her again, and I actually even asked her her name, and she told me, and I said, how old are you? Because she was riding in front of her house. So she was, you know, her, I'm sure her family was watching, but she was out on her own. And she's five, which is very young to learn how to ride a two-wheeler. And she was zipping around and she was standing up at one point. And I think at some point when that idea came to me, I must have had her in the back of my mind, even though I didn't realize it until later. I think, again, for Let's Dance, it was just wanting to write about connection and something that we all have in common and that brings us together. So as I do look at the manuscripts I've written, there is always an element of something around diversity or connection or love. Um, just everything I've written, I, I do see that thread in there. And inevitably, that is 
who I am and, and how I grew up. And it just, you know, I'm a person who loves to connect. I'm a person who values diversity and, and sees it as something that is absolutely necessary, not a maybe or possibly, or, you know, let's tolerate this. No, it needs to be there and we need to appreciate and celebrate. And so I just, and you know, the love of family and the love of people. So my stories all have that in there and I hope more get published so that you'll be able to read them and see those elements in the stories. Valerie, can you talk a little bit more explicitly about um, the intersection of dance and diversity, especially as it pertains to this book that you wrote? Sure. So it goes back a bit. Um, I'll start with my vision because I did uh, say that Jess had a different vision for the book, uh, which actually elevated my vision. I want to say that up front. So I was very clear when I wrote this book that I wanted to have diverse children. First of all, because that's, as I said, that's what I believe in. But I also felt just as I feel that the rhyming words are best matched to dance. I also feel showing uh, diverse kids are best, the best way to really communicate what dance really is. And so I uh, was very explicit with Jess and I said, I want a lot diverse kids in this book. And I actually said, I'm going to be very clear. I said, I want a lot of brown kids in this book. And the reason I said that is because often we don't see that in books or we don't see it as much as I believe we should. And so she assured me, she said, oh, there will be. And I said to her, I said, I, will very, I, said, I want someone in a wheelchair. And there were very specific reasons for that. When I wrote certain words, the word zigzag zig, I had in mind a young man at a wedding I attended who was in a wheelchair, leaned back, two front legs up in the middle of the dance floor, zigzag zigging. I said, I wanted someone who was blind. I wanted, you know, I was very clear about what I wanted. I said, I wanted a boy in a tutu. And we may talk about that page, um, what actually happened there. So she honored every, you know, she honored what I asked for and I appreciated it. But later she came back to me three months later after I had signed the contract in July and we had discussed illustration notes, she came back in October and she said, Valerie, I think we're missing an opportunity here. She said, this could be a book about global dances, dances from around the world. And what, again, what's so amazing is I didn't change a word, but she simply took my words and matched them to dances. So for me, tappity tap, finger snap was tap dancing, but she saw it as flamenco. When I wrote the words glide and slide side to side, I'm thinking of the electric slide or cha-cha slide. She saw it as Chinese long sleeve dancing. The only dance in the book that was intentional for me was cuckoo. When I wrote those words, wiggle hips, spin, dip, dip, I had personal experience with that dance because as I said, that's the dance I learned in college and I continued to take African dance um, as an adult in my 20s and I think even into my 30s. Um, so she just had this vision for me that elevated the dance. I had never heard of uh, the dance from India, Kathak dance. 
And so for turn, twirl, twist, twirl, I was just imagining kids kind of turning and twirling or partners turning and twirling each other and having fun. And she said, no, that can be dancers in India. And so I was absolutely thrilled um, that we could add that further element of diversity to the book. That is blowing my mind a little bit. That one <laughs> phrase, one spread was sort of as you envisioned it, but that those words were there, perhaps sort of divinely influenced because then this editor saw different potential. That's beautiful to hear it turn out that way. And yes, as we study the characters, we do see in the flamenco dance, we do see that there is a child um, with a... a with a, a, a stick to be able to a guide stick and we do see um different children that that are quite frankly that are sort of gender non-conforming that it's hard to make an assumption about well this is clearly look how this boy is dancing or this girl leaving that space for things to be well for for any child to see an entry point into these illustrations i think is really important while at the same time how beautifully the main um has allowed some of these dances to sit in a culture and see children and dancers from um, where those countries uh, originate that dance be represented on the page, as well as showing dances where everyone um, from different ethnicities is dancing. I think that, that, that balance between that is, is, is allowing children to find um, to find that they see themselves in this story and that they also see their their culture, their families celebrated. I think that it's beautiful in that way. And also that there's some children that we see throughout the book, that we can follow them throughout the book. They, they appear doing different dances. Yeah. Yes, thank you for noticing all of that. And I just, um, as I said, it's it's so important to me that that, you know, that people are able to see those things and, and take that from the book. Um, that's, you know, that's a, that's a main purpose of, of the book. Oh, I see Beautiful. a P has a question. I see P has a question. I, a bunch of hands kept moving, so I wasn't sure where we were going to go. Go ahead, P. Um, what is your favorite dance, and why did you choose to write a book about dancing? We got to so, know a little bit about dance, but your favorite is your, did your favorite make it into the book? Yeah. So I, as an audience member, I say, I love dance. So I don't have a favorite dance that I like to watch. I'll watch any dance because I think dancers are incredible people who are powerful and graceful and athletic and, um, you know, you have to be intelligent. Uh, you have to remember all the moves, spatially aware. So um, shout out to dancers. Um, so in the book, I think the dance probably that I do the most, uh, you know, you turn on music and sort of like you guys were um, having fun the other day with some music and dancing, um, I it would probably be disco, something R&B or poppy or something that, you know, I, I can move to. And as I said, the book and the dance that I also have a connection to is, is Cuckoo. 
So um, I would say in that case, those two did make it in. And those were intentional. I mean, the Jess, as I said, came up with the cultural dances, but in terms of break dancing and disco and country line dancing, those were already in there. They, they didn't change from my original vision. It's beautiful that dance is something too that we can do without speaking the same language. The dance becomes the language, right? Isn't that a beautiful thing that while you're using um, these verbs, these action words and onomatopoeia, um, it ends up having this beautiful universality to it. That's really Matthew, wonderful. did you read my pitch for this book? Your pitch? No. Are you being, am I hitting it? <laughs> oh my gosh. My pitch was dancing is a universal language. There you go. We have our own accent. I love that. We each have our own accent. How beautiful yes. is that? You know, we, I think P, if you don't mind, I am going to share slightly more of our beginning story from yesterday, which is that one of the other beautiful things that was happening, and I won't embarrass you, hon, but was that um, we were making this joke that she was, quote unquote, playing the ukulele, but she had her sound off. So we were making this joke that, you know, when you have the sound off, everyone's an expert at whatever you're doing. <laughs> Much like when no one's looking, you are the best dancer in the room. Um, Absolutely. But it was beautiful to make that connection as well as the for folks that say, oh, I don't dance, but we actually brought in the connection of like, you might not have grown up in, in a culture of dance or in a tradition of dance, but for example, my kid plays Fortnite and learns the dances on a video game and those dances connect him to other gamers. And that's sort of profound to think that that a video game can do that in in that sort of indirect way, but that it's a language we can speak to connect. Uh, I think that's a, a really, really interesting uh, sort of rabbit hole to, to go down. Yeah. And then I of mean, course- what, How do you define dance, I guess right. we could say. You know, what is your dance? How do you dance? What's dancing for you? Well, IF immediately went into the Oh yeah, all the kids in my, all the boys in my school do that dance and they look ridiculous. <laughs> and we're like, well, that's also true. That's part it's, of it. It's a true fact. At recess, all of them are running around screaming, Fortnite! Fortnite! <laughs> but the way that they are together, I know, IF, it's not lost on you, that the fact that they're doing it together is a really neat thing. I, yes. um, I thought, again, the, the Maine's illustrations were so beautiful in this book and really gave us a sense of movement. If these were dances you hadn't heard of before, or rather you have to go to the back matter to know the name of the dance. But if you're looking at them and, and, and guessing, just that Maine has given us so many uh, postures of different children in different moments of the dance that you can sort of, um, like a graphic novel, piece together that sequential art to see that movement was a really, was a really effective way of, of illustrating this book. And as you yeah, said, I, the, I was gonna say, as you said, the intention of, of looking closer at the art and seeing who is doing these dances, just what do, you, what do you notice? You don't need to know every kid's story, but you can connect with every kid for, for different reasons that matter most importantly to you. 
Exactly. I was just going to say one of the things too that I love about Maine's illustrations are, and she does have um, an animation background and you can just see, you know, she brings forth the joy and the energy of dance. But um, one of the things she shared is that she actually watched a lot of videos of the dances so that she was able to capture the essence of the dances. And um, she also, I love where there are different perspectives, like in the um, Katak dance, she has, you know, the, there's a vision of looking down on the turning and twirling. And then in the, um, you know, break dance, there's that sneaker coming right at you. And, uh, you know, there are things like that that I just think are great. And, you know, in the country line dancing, you have the boy throwing his hat up in the air and he's looking up at it and the other kids are looking up at it as well. And it's just, you know, it, it's just one, it's wonderful. Um, I, I just really, I just really appreciate um, the time and, and the love that she put into, as I say, making the words dance. It is, it's, it's truly joyous. And if I, I'm gonna have my students share final questions if they have any before we close our time together. But if I can just give folks listening an, a, 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 an idea of the text, I'll just read a couple pages here. It reads, tappity tap, finger snap. Turn, twirl, twist, whirl. Jiggity jig, zigzag zig. Glide and slide side to side. And I'll just stop there, but just it's very quick, quick turns, quick movements that, um, that carry us through this story so quickly and beautifully. Um, Elle, why don't you ask your final question? How long did it take you to make the book? So I wrote the first draft of the book in June of 2017. And I continued to revise through the end of that year. I got some, and this is for you students, I wanna share this story because I think it's, it's important that I shared it with a friend who gave me excellent advice. One of the things she said was, read this book. It was Tim McCann's Water Song. She said, because that will provide um, you know, some ideas for you. She was suggesting it as a mentor text. So mentor texts are very, very important. And the other thing she said was, the original story was actually called, I Love to Dance. And I was repeating that line. So, you know, I love to dance a little jig. I love to dance zigzag zig. I love to dance step by step. I love to dance move with pep. She said, Valor, you don't need to keep repeating, I love to dance. And at the bottom of the first page were the lines, I love to dance, tappity tap. I love to dance, fingers snap. And she said, if you start, with tappity tap finger snap, immediately you will draw readers into this book. And I took her advice. Um, her name is Marianne McShane, and she actually um, had a book come out this year as well. And she's, you know, a storyteller. She's a librarian. She's actually retired now. She moved back to Ireland. Um, but she's just an incredible person. And the idea here is that you need to have people 
give you critique on your writing. Your writing is not just done with one draft. You, and I'm also, I have a writing partner. I'm in a critique group. These things are very important students. And, and I always say, you don't have to take everyone's feedback and use it, but you need to consider all feedback. And so anyway, I continued to revise through the end of the year. And on January 1st of 2018, so seven months later is when I started sending the book out and it was picked up that June and I signed contracts in July. So pretty much a year from first draft to acceptance for publication. And then it is normal. The normal timeline to get a picture book, picture book published is two years. So the fact that my book came out in March, it's actually slightly ahead of two years because two years would have been this month. It would have been July. That's wonderful. And good to know that that's when we look at making a book and getting those illustrations and having it printed, it takes time. Well, Valerie, why don't I end our time together first by saying thank you. Children, unmute and give a little thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are so welcome. It is my pleasure to be here with you. The best thing I have to say about being an author is getting to share my book with students. That is what I love most. So thank you so much for being here. I mean, I love that Matthew is here as well, but I have to say the four of you, PL, IF and IL, you have really made this super special for me. That this is where I get my joy and energy. They're the stars. It's always about them. We always are thinking about them, which is why we end with this question. We, we are always thinking about your readers. Uh, Valerie, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Absolutely. So the first is the reminder of my pitch for the book, which is that dance is a universal language, even though we each have our own accent. And then I also wanted to say that I want students, Matthew, and all of, and the four of you and, and the students, Matthew, will share this message with, to know that each of us is unique and each of us is worthy. We're all part of the human family, which means we're all connected. So you need to do your part to keep us connected. Don't ever exclude anyone or make them feel they're not part of our family. And of course, I'd have to end with this related to my book and remember to dance because that will remind you of our connection. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 600 episodes at matthewcwinner.com. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the free music archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and don't reflect the ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Become a patron, and you can directly impact and help to sustain the podcast. Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that is a very good thing indeed.
We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cosy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.